This Restorative Justice Life is a production of Amplify RJ. Follow us on all social media platforms at Amplify RJ. Sign up for our email list and check out our website at AmplifyRJ.com to stay up to date on everything we have going on. Make sure you're subscribed to this feed on whatever platform you're listening on right now so you don't miss an episode. And finally, we'd love it if you left us a rating and review. It really helps us literally amplify this work. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to This Restorative Justice Life, the podcast that explores how the philosophy, practices, and values of restorative justice apply to our everyday lives. I'm your host, David Ryan Barcega Castro-Harris, all five names for the ancestors, and I'm the founder of Amplify RJ. On this podcast, I talk with RJ practitioners, circle keepers, and others doing this work about how this way of being has impacted their lives. Hey folks, I'm Elise, your producer, and today we are welcoming Tamay Douglas as our guest today. Tamay is a social worker, substance abuse counselor, and a restorative justice trainer and facilitator with restorative justice education. Tamay integrates her mediation, mindfulness, and trauma training into her work where she provides conflict coaching, family conferencing, anti-racism work, racial healing circles, and healing circles for persons who experience trauma. You will hear about how to get started with restorative justice work, how to navigate relationships in school, and so much more. But before we get into this episode, Amplify RJ is so excited to share some new projects with you today. As the weather is heating up, so are our workshops. You can now sign up for the Restorative Justice Summer Intensive for Educators. Also, if you are at the beginning of your restorative journey, we are also having intro-level workshops. All the information you need can be found down below in the show notes. And if you want some cool new clothing to match the warm weather, please check out our Amplify Restorative Justice gear, which can be found in the show notes as well, as our Future Ancestor Collective and our podcast clips, which are now being posted on our YouTube channel. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. Welcome to May. Who are you? I am a melanin miracle. Who are you? I am the descendant of indigenous peoples, African people, and Irish immigrants. Who are you? I am, I'm a walking contradiction. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? I'm the pain the power and the hope of my ancestors. Mm. Who are you? A mother, a daughter, a student, a black woman, Mm. a misunderstood person. Who are you? I'm a reflection of you. And finally, who are you? Someone that is still growing, learning, loving, and seeking to do better. Mm-hmm. Thank you. There's some really good answers in there, especially the first one. I love that, Melanated Miracle. For those of the people who aren't watching, um, and I don't think this is going to be a video clip, can you tell us what your shirt says? Because that just made my day. <laughs> <laughs> says 100% melanin, chocolate, 
but C H O C O dash L I T Choco lit. It would made my day. (laughs) Um, And you know, this is a day that needed some brightness for me. Um, How are you to the fullest extent that you want to answer the question? I'm relieved. I'm relieved because of where I am, Mm -hmm. you know, um, geographically in Virginia and why I'm here. So, um, and it was because of an emergency with my daughter. So Mm -hmm. I'm relieved because I'm the only family that she has and I'm four hours away. Not that she has, but, you know, four hours away as a mama, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that, that can cause a lot of anxiety, you know. So the fact that I'm here and taking care of her, I'm good. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you were able to, one, be there for her, but also make the time to share with us your story about this restorative justice life. Um, I know you've been doing the work longer than you knew the words. Uh, How did you get started? Okay, so from my point of view, I got started because I I Googled it initially. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just, I'm just going to be 100% with that. I Googled it because I wanted a different way of being with students. Mm -hmm. I was working in a middle school and I was working in a high school. But when I was in the middle school, I saw students being arrested Mm -hmm. and that bothered me. And and what I did was I, I Googled and I found out and I was like, okay, this is how they do circle. So I didn't get formal training, right? Mm-hmm. It was something I did and something that even my children actually, you know, came home one day like, so can we do that with us? You know, Friday nights have a family meeting and we sat in a circle mm-hmm. and took turns speaking. And finally something happened um, that was really personal in my life. And it brought up a lot of, you know, memories from my past and I was triggered. So I started researching like, okay, who's doing something around healing, you know, for people who experience child sexual abuse. So I I found an organization and I went and I went through the process for myself. Mm -hmm. So some people, they, I think they go to a training and they learn it and love it. But for me, because I experienced it in the power of a healing circle Mm -hmm. and what it did for me, I was sold. You know. And you're talking about hidden water, right? Yeah. 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 Can you, sh- uh, you know, we've had uh, Mia Hunt, who uh, I don't remember what episode that was. One of our early episodes, we had Mia Hunt, someone who was a circle keeper with Hidden Waters, share. But uh, for people who might not have listened to that episode, can you share uh, what Hidden Water NYC is? So it's a restorative organization that focuses on families impacted by child sexual abuse and they use five different circle models. Mm -hmm. So they use like an orange circle for parents of children who've been harmed. They use the purple circle for those who cause harm. They use a blue circle for the loved ones. So it's four circles. And I'll tell you why I said five in a minute. And the fourth one is the green circle. And that's for the persons who actually experienced child sexual abuse. Now, I I said five because I actually did, we did a family system circle. So that's basically when the family members, if there's a person like who caused harm to another family member, everyone does a circle for the first, um, for 12 months, and then they come together as a family Mm -hmm. to do a circle. And that was pretty powerful too. Yeah, no, it's, and that's like 
quite a drastic uh, introduction um, into this work, right? Even though you had Googled it, right, um, earlier, um, having that experience for yourself um, is really something that I imagine um, set you on this path of like, yeah, I'm about this life, you know? Um, I'm curious, like going back to when you were, when you were teaching, you said you were doing, uh, you were upset by um, your students being arrested or students in the school being arrested. Um, that's been happening um, for years and years and years. What was it about that moment in time that uh, sparked you to search for something different? Well, I was actually, um, I was interning at the time as a social worker mm -hmm. and that, that what sparked it for me was my engagement, unfortunately, at the time with the teachers didn't necessarily see anything wrong with it. Mm -hmm. What they saw was there's a threat. Now it's removed and now I'm safe. You know, that was the process from the adult's perspective. You know, however, I'm sitting in the seat of that. That could have been my child or that's me, actually, from, you know, my earlier years. Yeah. Except I just didn't have the police calls on me. Yeah. As someone who grew up in school um, as a black, uh, as a young black woman, right? Um, we often pigeonhole people into uh, these roles, right? Um, were there any experiences that stood out to you as like, this is unfair, this is unjust, and like you saw replicated with the students that you were working with as a social worker? So you want me to reflect back on myself, my life? Yeah, if you want okay. to. <laughs> sure, 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 um, definitely. Well, it's interesting because when I was in high school, um, I got into a fight, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and what happened was after the fight, um, I was suspended. I was brought into an office and um, my parent was called and I was suspended. And no one talked to me. No one said, you know, how are you doing? Um, what's going on? And that was something that always stayed with me. So even when I came to this restorative justice life, um, it was so important for me to make sure that I would advocate for those and be a voice for those and help them to understand children, youth, that they have, you know, a voice and they have power because no one, if someone had have asked what's going on, why are you engaging in this behavior, mm -hmm. then they would have known that I was being abused, right? Mm -hmm. They would have known that what was happening in the lunchroom was me trying to make sure I ate. So when I got home, I wasn't exposed to abuse, more abuse, because I had to go in the kitchen and cook or something like that. You know, so for me, I always, you know, as I went to school and went to graduate school and things like that, it always stayed with me that we need to ask questions. You know, we need to just begin with, how's your day? You know, so when I did start as an intern and I ended up working as a program director of an after school program, and even in the after school program, I would have kids sent down to my office. You know, the teacher is kicking them out of the class. And as soon as they get in my office, they're thinking they're in trouble. And I'm like, how are you doing? And that kind of like caught these kids off guard because they were expecting more punishment. Yeah. And, and to be judged. Right. And 
it's not just about asking the question, right? It's about meaning it and actually caring. <laughs> right. So it's not being performative. <laughs> right. Like, right. <laughs> you know, sometimes we talk about restorative justice as, you know, you're asking a different set of questions instead of what, uh, instead of like, what rules broken, who did it, how can we punish them? Uh, we were asking, you know, what happened, who's impacted and how, and how can we make things as right as possible? It's, but it's not just enough to, to ask those questions, right? I think that's exactly. positive. Uh, but if you're not coming from the perspective of this is another human um, worthy of my love, respect, um, and care, instead of like a problem child who just needs to be taken care of so I can do like the rest of my job delivering this uh, learning to, to other people, um, you're going to get very different results. Exactly. You know, and, and that was the difference. I remember a student um, I can reflect on and he came in and he was like, I don't want to talk. So I said, okay, you know, have a seat. You know, he said, I don't care. I don't want to talk. And I said, I'm okay with that. And then I, I actually, I told him, I said, so what I'm going to do while you're not talking is finish my work and have some water. Would you like some water? No, fine. And he saw that I really actually started working back on my computer and attending to my work. And then he just burst out. They never asked who did such and such. And he just started telling me everything that happened. And even after he finished speaking, I still went back to, and that's what I love about you when I, I listen to your podcast with not only who are you, but how are you? You know what I mean? And asking like, because how did that impact you? How did that make you feel as a person to have someone, you know, to have a, a, an adult standing over you, yelling at you, telling you you're always a troublemaker and sending you out? How did that feel? You know, because I have a problem with adults wanting um, our young people to be like us. They expect, uh, expect young people to think on our level, mm -hmm. process information on our level, see things from our perspective, but they're not us. They're not even at that, that cognitive level yet. Their prefrontal cortex isn't even developed fully yet. But yet we hold all this baggage that we place on their shoulders and burden them with being like us. Yeah. It's, it's not just adults to, to students, right? I think what we're talking about is like, people can, especially in the context of school, like people conforming to like a white supremacist norm of <laughs> a white supremacist norm of the, the one right way to be right. And if you don't learn this specific way, like that's wrong. If you don't perform, um, you know, the learning um, or the participation in class a certain way, um, that's wrong. You're bad, right? Um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with um, expecting quote unquote professionalism and attention, right? But we have to be able to accept people where they are and how they're coming in and be responsive to that. Not just saying, well, it's cool. That's the way that you are at home, but here you have to be this way. Right. And that's, that's something that I hear too a lot uh, with young people. I'm not your mother, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's back to what you just said, you know, you can be that way at home. You know, so and but when we think about this punitive mindset, that's an outgrowth of white supremacy. It's an outgrowth of whiteness and white ideologies, you know, because 
that that and, and what people need to understand is you know when the punitive systems were created it was because they it was after the emancipation right mm -hmm. they said oh the, the slaves are free but now we still have labor we still need work to be done so then they created these laws you know in a way if you walk on the same side of a track with a, a white man as a black man you, you go to prison if you spit in front of a white man and you're black you get arrested so it's this punitive mindset is rooted in white supremacy. So when we think about it, and like you said, it's not just from student to teacher or teacher to student. It's just sometimes it's rooted in us as a people. We often go to the, the punitive side, not recognizing that that's an outgrowth of racism. It's an outgrowth of white supremacy. And we it's something that that needs to be um, uprooted. Yeah. So like you were experiencing this and like, how did you even know to Google the term restorative justice? Oh, I was actually Googling justice. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, and, and that's been like my path, justice. Um, and, and restorative justice came up and it took me to IIRP mm -hmm. and then some things about how it's there, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then what I love is when I got to um, Hidden Water, I was I was initially trained by Kay Pranis. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, well, so what? You were trained by Kay Pranis, you know, oh, she's a white woman. Well, she's a white woman who was trained by First Nations people. Mm -hmm. You know, we forget we forget to say that piece. Right. Mm -hmm. It's that part. You know, it's not someone who said, I'm just going to take this and co-opt it like it's been and it's continuously happening. You know, but it's it was something that justice and of course, it's also rooted in the fact that I lived a life where I wasn't receiving justice when I was younger. Yeah. And even as I, I, I just grew up. Yeah. And so like you have your social work career, right? Um, you were learning more about restorative justice as you were uh, going through this, these processes at Hidden Water uh, NYC. Um, where did the restorative justice journey take you from there? Oh, it took me, hmm. well, it took me to starting my own nonprofit. And it, it actually went from that to me collaborating with other organizations like the Restorative Justice Education um, underneath Dr. Tom Kavanaugh. And eventually it led me to USD where so the interesting thing is my PhD, I'm a PhD student for the Education for Social Justice program, mm -hmm. but I was actually introduced to David Karp, mm -hmm. you know, because of the Center for Restorative Justice. And that was the determinant factor for why I chose that school, because I also, I was accepted into a PhD program for social work, criminal justice, but the deciding factor for me was the Center for Restorative Justice because the other schools didn't have that there. And I really wanted to, I'm about this restorative life, right? So that, that's where it took me, you know? And it's been a journey that, I would say up until this point, I feel like it's just been like all, you know, butterflies and roses. <laughs> Until I got into higher ed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Until I, and then it was like, oh, 
okay, it's something else. <laughs> Talk about it. <laughs> Talk about it. Yeah, it's it's engaging whiteness. It's engaging people that don't see themselves. And it and it, it's to a, a place where, you know, I began saying that I don't expect you know, I have my white brothers and sisters and, and I even have my soul sisters that we get together once a month and they're white and we love each other. You know, however, I do have the experience of, you know, my my other white brethren. They just don't see me. Right. And it, it, it bothered me for a minute when I first, you know, last semester, I would say. But then I had to come to this understanding. They can't see me because they don't see themselves. You know, and when I say, you know, and I was speaking to someone and I said, you don't see you. And the you I'm talking about is the you in history, the you and your forefathers, the you and your ancestors that committed the atrocities, you know, against First Nations people and the first harm, right? And the second harm with African Americans, you know, Africans, you know, into slavery, you know. So it, I just had to really reconcile. You know, or until we reckon, right? Like Daniel Serrett says, mm -hmm. for me, I had to reckon with this reality that sometimes white people are so deeply embedded and entrenched in their whiteness that they can't come out of it, you know, to see it. Everything around them is right. You know, so I do what I do because it's right. I'll take your process and I'll flip it up and turn it around because that's the way I think it should be instead of honoring like the indigenous roots. Mm -hmm. Of, of restorative justice, you know, in the circle practice. So it's been, it's been frustrating. And normally when I encounter certain spaces where I know there are, there are a lot of, you know, white people, my white brothers and sisters, I put my guards up, mm -hmm. you know, I prepare myself and I, I protect my energy. And I have to say that as I entered into a restorative space, I didn't think I needed to do that because it's a restorative, you know, I didn't think I needed to do that. And that was a mistake, you know, and, and I was exposed, you know, to the microaggressions, to the dehumanizing, condescending comments, you know, and it, it really impacted me. And, and I'm a person who I like to, you know, protect my energy, but my body was like, oh, this, this is impacting you because my face actually broke out. I had a physical reaction, you know? And so I had to really step back and say, okay, you know, open your eyes some more, mm -hmm. you know, just because it's, it's labeled, you know, restorative justice or people are saying they're restorative justice practitioners. It doesn't mean that they see from the same framework that I do. Yeah. Uh, so we asked this question at different parts of the podcast. What does restorative justice mean to you? Restorative justice, what it means to me is restoring, restoring one's dignity, right? Restoring everything that's intrinsic, everything that's inherent, all the things that we were born with, right? So it's, and it's restoring love. And that's why I love Fanya Davis when she talks about justice and she reminds us of what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says and about justice is anything that is 
you know, responding to anything that counters love, right? That comes against love, that stands against love. And so for me, restoring justice is doing that because we're in a world that's filled with hate. We're in a world where people take pride in their hate, you know, in who they are. And so for restorative justice is this coming together. It's a return to who we truly are at the core. Mm -hmm. You know, and at the core, I, I want to believe that all people are good, powerful and wise, like the seven core assumptions. Mm -hmm. I want to have that assumption. You know, um, I know it doesn't appear like that all the time, <laughs> but for me, that's what it is. It's a return to who we are at the core, that good part of us. Yeah, I'm curious, like, um, like for me, there are lots of definitions of restorative justice that I use, but like that return to wholeness, right, to that good, wise, powerful self is important. What are some ways that you've seen like a limited definition of restorative justice in action? Well, when it's used for, so I'm gonna go back to the school, right? Mm -hmm. um, and cause one of the things that I do, I train teachers and, and I see that it's often used as oh, great, we have a tool now to manage our classroom. Mm. We have a tool now to help the black and brown kids. You know, so while it's good that we want to use it so we can lower suspension rates, uh, there's more to it than addressing a, a punitive action mm -hmm. or thinking of it as an uh, alternative. So that's where it's limited to me, where it's only focused on this one way of being. Mm -hmm. You know, um, earlier when I was talking to a group of young girls and I gave them three examples of a circle and I, and I shared a video that showed how the circle can be used for managing, addressing conflict um, between students that were once friends and whatever. Um, and then I showed them an interview that I did with Kirsten Cole from WPIX um, News in New York around you know, my process of going through a healing circle. And then I actually had them, I modeled with them a community building circle, but that's it. Like everything has to come together as one. And the main ingredient to me that's missing a lot is that community, that, that relationship, making meaningful connections and letting us be humanized by the human experience. So we can find out what we have in common as opposed to what makes us so different. Yeah. And when things are just about behavior management, right, that, that's not humanizing. That's like another way of control, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's exactly it. And that's, that's one of the things. And again, that's an outgrowth. You know, so I was talking to someone who's in a very high position and they're white and they were like, I don't see structural racism. And that's when I walk away from the conversation. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, you know, and, and so for me, I would like to see. I would like to see white educators and I'm going to say white educators because they make up 80 percent of our population mm -hmm. that are teaching our our diverse children, right? And I would like to see white educators actually use the process for themselves. Mm -hmm. I would like to what see do you mean them by use that? it. To use it, you know, to connect to themselves first. 
and, and to connect with others when they get in those spaces and then to heal themselves, heal their mindsets. You know, we can't, they can't, I'll say we, right? Because I can still have some stuff inside of me as well. Um, they can't decolonize their mindset, you know, if their mindset is focused on the other. And that's what I keep saying. Let me learn this as a tool for my toolkit to help the other, to help the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Help yourself. Because that's that's part of the problem. You know, you haven't had to do any work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything was just handed. You inherited this this white privilege, you know, and, and I often say that, you know, whether white people say they don't feel privileged or not, they carry white privilege like an American Express card. They don't leave home without it. It benefits them everywhere they go. For real. You know, that's what it is. And and so it's like, it's time for you to for you to do the work. And it's not it's not easy work, you know, but it's necessary work. Right. Instead of this being this tool tool for the toolkit for school discipline, right? It is um Internal work. Uh, someone, I'll shout out Denmark, uh, who has been doing uh, work with us in our workshops, was talking about how, you know, restorative justice, it can be a lens, right? But it's also a mirror for you to look at yourself, right? And yeah, you talked about that earlier, like, you know, you are a reflection of me, but like, how are you looking at yourself and your practice? And, you know, if this is all about relationships and humanizing yourself, the first relationship you have is the relationship with yourself, right? And so, like, how are you doing... I, I think, like, the way that we frame our training with Amplify RJ, the things that we go more in-depth with are, like, how does this work for the relationship with yourself and then with others? How does learning how to hold space for your own emotions... And that's something that I struggle with, too, right? Like, as, as a cis man growing up in this world, like, I was taught to, you know, shove emotions down, just get the work done. Um, it's not important for you to deal with that. What's important is your productivity, right? But how can I hold emotions for other people if I can if I can't hold my own emotions, right? Like it's the and there's so many examples, not just with emotions, with with trauma, with communication styles, with self-care, right? Um how can you create a community where people are taking care of your, themselves if you're not uh, doing that, if you're not modeling that? Um, there's so much work that people have to do for themselves before we even start thinking about uh, bringing this to other people. I agree. I agree 100% with everything you said. And and so and, and there's this tension that I have with like this whole idea of, you know, you know, we need to do these trainings and, and some people are talking about like, we have to have certifications, make a specialist. It's going to be degrees. Now it's graduate certificates and, and then how it can also limit access to, mm -hmm. to those who are already marginalized. Right. Um, and so there's this tension, but part of me, I feel like people should actually like experience the process before they get trained in the process. They should go through a process before, because to your point, a lot of time I come across people and they are doing good work um, in their communities, but then for some reason, I'm always privy to like the, the back end of things. And, and I see the struggle, I see the struggle and the struggle is good, but then there are some people that are just, I had a conversation with someone, unfortunately, who said to me, 
yeah, I know there's racism in my organization and it that's what it is. You know, we'll deal with it as we go along. You know, so are we going to do any healing circles, repair circles, any circles to address this? I don't want to, you know, and that was disappointing for me. But to me, it's it's more like, well, have have you done the work for yourself? Like that was the question that came up. And and then it's also like a reflection for me, like what what part of the work am I not doing? How can I dig deeper into something, you know, where because, I, you know, I always say that the space that I hold is not always the space that I choose, mm. you know, and, and that's because if I enter into a circle, I know that I'm entering into a space where things are going to be put in the circle that that can come up and it might be uncomfortable. But in that process, you know, I get to sit with, well, why is that bothering me? You know, why do I feel annoyed by what that person just said? So instead of me worrying about how can I react to them, you know, it's like, let me respond to what's coming up for me, you know, and sit with that internally. And I think if if we do that more, we can like really build the bandwidth, the internal bandwidth and capacity so we can authentically do this work and not do it because, you know, it's the thing to do. Right. You know, I, I think like, was this a school? I don't want you to like name names, but was this a school? No, it was uh, an organization. So, okay. So if it's an organization, like, you know, the organization has a stated goal of why they exist, right? Um, that goal is not to be anti-racist and equitable and just, it's to produce a product, right? Or provide a service for people. Um, and as someone like who is a business owner, right? I am, I'm sympathetic to that, right? Where like, I don't, Amplify RJ does not exist to be this beacon of anti-racism, equity, and justice. We teach that. Um, That is what we do. And like, we still strive to be an, it's not even like trying to be an example. We still want to be that way. Um, taking care of our people, well, the limited people that we have, right? We're, we're still very small. Taking care of our people in ways that make them feel uh, seen, right? And cared for as humans. Um, it's a lot easier to do when it's on a smaller scale. I was wondering if it was a school because like, you know, the schools, most schools that exist, right? Their goal is to pass students through to equip them to be uh productive members of capitalist society, right? Uh, And like the goal of education is not to care for, you know, the whole person. And so when we're in these systems that aren't built to, uh, to serve humans and like their needs, uh, fully acknowledging like the entirety of, you know, who that person is and what they need and what they can bring, like, it's a tough thing because like, you know, everybody's, still has to make their money. Everybody has to get through their day. How have you seen people do this work well within organizations? How have I seen people do this work well within organizations? And I I think like it's easier to think about like small organizations where it's, you know, two to five to 10 people, right? But like on a larger scale, what does that look like? Because to... And you didn't say this, 
Um, one of the things that I think often is that restorative justice doesn't belong in schools institutionally because the institution wasn't built for that. It's incongruent, right? Around the the time limitations, um, the the policies around what instructional hours are and what content needs to be covered and um, you only have this many contract hours and things need to be done in this exact way um, in this exact time frame and if this circle goes over time like well you can't have you don't have to stay for that right um like how have you seen this done well i know there are lots of people who are attempting it and uh like there there are ways that things are successful um, and things that like leave something to be desired, but how have you seen it done well in schools or other organizations? Okay, so I can say, I'll just speak to um, a smaller organization, um, Restorative Justice Education, that's founded by Dr. Tom Cavanaugh. And I'm one of the facilitators with this organization. And when we have our uh, business meetings, they're done in circle, mm-hmm. you know, they're, you know, we have check-ins, we actually live out the process, right? We do the process. And even when I'm in, you know, a situation where I feel like I, I need to talk to somebody, I can reach out to one of those um, team members, you know, and not like it's a soapbox or anything like that, but I can reach out to them. And it's a, it's a real community that cares. You know, everything he does is the culture of care. And I can say that it's it's extended to, you know, everyone on the team. So I see see that it's done well. I I can't say that there's any specific place that, um, for me, you know, even to speak to, you know, I'm a grad assistant at the Center for Restorative Justice at the University of San Diego. Mm -hmm. And I think what, what works well is again, and, and, and there's a small team there, right? Is those check-ins, when we come together and have those check-ins. I think that's um, a good thing. But, and those are also organizations that are ran by white people. And so I'm, I'm automatically going to have a different lens, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm looking at the way people run or do things. So for me, it's still like, well, let me see how it's done here. Let me see how they operate. But I can't really say that um, I'm still in the process. You know, I'm still in the oven, right? I'm still in the middle of this, this journey, you know, where I can't really speak to something necessarily being done well to the extent you're asking. What I think is important is that people don't think that yeah, that might be stepping on some toes. But for me, <laughs> I, I'm uncomfortable listening to people say that they're an expert over something that, that didn't come from them. Mm. You know, so but for me, it's important that people are human enough to say, I don't have it all together, but I'm working towards this end goal. You know, I'm working towards being better and doing better. Yeah. I really don't have a a better answer for you for that because I'm still in the process. But I know some things I can I've seen a a teacher in a classroom do it well in his classroom, his music class, you know, the way he engaged his students and he he did everything in a circle. 
mm-hmm. and it was amazing. But other than that, I really, yeah. Right, yeah. And, and I think like it's easy to point to individual cases, right, um, in small communities. But, you know, you were a restorative justice coordinator at a high school for, for a little bit. Um, <laughs> and uh, by the look on your face right now that people can't see, like, the quote-unquote implementation didn't go so well. <laughs> um, like, what went well? What do you wish had gone better? So, well... Without this naming is the school. I, I won't, but this is what didn't go well, that it took me an entire semester to connect with the teachers, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, I say semester. Um, so from September to... It took me until December, Right because they had these walls up, Mm -hmm. you know, and they, you know, they felt like, well, who is this contracted person coming in, you know, trying to tell us how to do our job better. And I'm like, well, that's a misperception. You know, I'm not here to tell you how to do something better. I'm here to support what you're already doing well. You know, let's, if we change the way we look at things and what we look at changes. So let's reframe that. I'm not here to, you know, say you're not doing something good. And so I feel like that time that it took me to connect, because one of the things, you know, the principal said, well, I need you to be able to go into their um, classrooms and see what teachers are struggling, blah, 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 and all that stuff. And they weren't like inviting, you know, and it took me to observe like what they were doing. And I had to centralize myself in a space where the students knew how to access me. But in working with the students, the one thing I knew was important was I needed to work with the teachers. Right. You know, and everybody kept telling me, well, the teachers don't show up. You might get three teachers to show up if you try to call a circle. Okay. So um, what I did was, yeah, if I say what I did, they're going to know who they are. (laughs) So um, I did a special circle just for them. 25 teachers showed up. Mm -hmm. 25 teachers showed up. Then after that, whenever they would see me in the morning, they were like, tell me, come sit with us. Tell me, come in my classroom. You know, they started inviting me in. And then they were coming to me like, can we have a a circle for teachers who are caring for their loved ones who are sick? You know, so it it changed. It blossomed. You know, so it it was rocky. So I, I would like to, I would like to see teachers, you know, not look at restorative justice coordinator coordinators or practitioners as someone trying to tell them how to do their job better but to actually help support what they're already doing well yeah because i go ahead i'm sorry well i mean there's something about the way that implementation processes often happen within the restorative justice world where you are bringing in um, an outsider and that doesn't always feel good. Um, I can imagine. I've been in that role, uh, not necessarily coordinated. It was called a coach, where I was at. And so much of what you have to do, right, is build the relationships first, right? Um, within the constructs of the contracts that I used to work under, like we would only be at a school for uh, a semester, right? And like, what do you expect us to be able to do in a semester, <laughs> right? Like, just be able to start building relationships and be like, here are the seeds, good luck. <laughs> you right. know, um, this isn't um, th- this isn't a quick fix, right? 
as much as we're trying to help people, um, you know, um, improve what they're already doing well, there's also this piece where it's like there there does need to be a shift like internally about like how you see your students, right? How you see each other. Um, and I don't know that you can, I, I know that you can't make people do that. You can only provide the opportunities for them to engage, right? Inviting them into those processes. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen overnight. I've, I'm thinking a lot about the way that I'm working with some schools right now and trying to work with some schools in the future. And like, really like what is, in a lot of ways, um, I don't care about the school, right? I don't, I care about the people there, right? I care about um, the teachers who are, yes, teachers, but they're also siblings, they're also partners, they're also that mothers, part. they're also uh, fathers, right? They're also friends of people, as well as colleagues and instructors, right? How are you navigating this life um, in good relationship with other people? Mm -hmm. If we're taught that, you know, relationships aren't important, we're just trying to get these test scores, right? Um, or, you know, move these students on. Um, that's not where we're not going to get like the outcomes that you and I would be looking for. And I know that most people who are educators wouldn't say that. Yeah, my goal in life is to like produce test scores, right? But we're put into a system that incentivizes that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. It's a colonial system that that promotes that, you know, and, and what you said is really important. And, and that's how I connected, right, through building that relationship so I, and through food. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about so, it. Talk about it. You know, it, it's something about, you know, or having food present that brings people like that's something that's common. Right. You know, it, it reminds them of you know, if I'm having dinner at home and, or when grandma used to cook these big meals and all the siblings, as you pointed out, you know, would come together. And unfortunately that was the thing that got the teachers together, right? Mm -hmm. Food, you know, that opened the door, you know, and they began talking and talking to me and talking to each other, you know, and then after they would break bread, we would all break bread, then we would go sit in circle. You know, and, and, and the good thing is I had time to do that with them because it was like a PD or, you know, a professional development day. So I had more space and time to do that, you know, and even I modeled that with the kids. You know, I was able to, you know, have pizza or whatever it was so that students can get there. And it, it got to a point that they didn't care about the food anymore. What they cared about was connecting to one another. And I remember doing an activity with the teachers where they were just, all they had to do was like say something they appreciated about the person sitting to their right mm -hmm. as we went around. They didn't know each other. They really didn't know each other. So they were like doing superficial things. Like I appreciate the way you, you know, you have that, that top one, you know, it was, it was superficial at first, you know, and then somebody finally said, well, I don't think I know you because you always, you know, lock your door in your classroom. And it was so powerful because when, when the talking piece came back to that person, they were able to say, 
you know, it's because my mom had a terminal illness and I knew she was dying. And they called us in so the family can start. And so that was something that they just wanted to cry. They closed their door and they were crying. And once that was shared in the space, that shifted the atmosphere, you know, where people started looking at each other different. Like, it's not about making sure, you know, all of their AP exams are ready, you know, so they can have these students take them. It was more about what they carry themselves into the space can spill over into the children. Because when I worked with the kids of this particular um, teacher, they, they, they were like, well, he doesn't help. He doesn't offer any additional help. I can't go ask him questions if I don't understand. He talks too fast during class. Because he was trying to manage his emotion. It goes back to what you said. If people don't not hold space for themselves, then they can't do it for others. So it's like, I, that's why I think um, it's important that they really, we all do our own work. That we all do our own work. When I sat in circle this morning online and somebody kept saying something about walking, 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 you know, and in my head, I hear, you know, Alan Iverson saying practice. You want to talk about practice, <laughs> right? So I'm like walking, like she want to talk about walking. And then I had to check myself, right? And say, okay, you're having a reaction to her saying this. Why? And if, I, if I'm honest, and I was in that space this morning, because I need to walk. You know, I need to take better care of my health. You know, and I and I needed to be honest with myself and I shared that out into the space. You know, I didn't just process it and keep it to myself. You know, I wanted to normalize talking about things that can be difficult, you know, when you sit in those spaces. And that's that's what I feel like, you know, my one of my calling, my calling is to help people have difficult dialogues with these you know, and destigmatize a lot of these conversations, you know, because of the topic per se. Right. And I think there's something about vulnerability, right? That doesn't happen overnight. It can, right? When you're forced into very tough situations, it can, right? But so often that trust and that ability to be vulnerable is built a lot more slowly, right? maybe around food. Hospitality is super important, right? Um, the way that you welcome people in. And I think like, you know, that might be, especially in COVID times, right? That's something that's been a challenge for so many people to uh, create those opportunities to build relationships, right? It's not just about, let's teach you this practice. It's, let's teach you um, this toolkit, right? It's, you know, who are you? How are you? Um, this is who I am. This is how I, uh, this is who I am. This is how I am. Um, isn't it great that we're in community together? Right. <laughs> that that's, yeah, that's what it should be. And, and we can create those conditions, you know, um, it, it's interesting because, you know, I, again, going back to this morning when I was in that space, you know, I was presenting, right? And I was facilitating, you know, the circle. So I felt it was important for me to model 
to model what it looks like and, and, and not model it because that's the thing to do, mm-hmm. but model it because I want to normalize this thing, right? You know, or I love your title again, this restorative justice life. I want to normalize that, you know, where it's something that people are saying it's okay to be uncomfortable. You know, it's okay to sit with um, discomfort, you know, but instead of reacting, because that's the natural impulse to react, you know, take a pause and reflect. Not on, not on the other, but reflect on yourself, you know, and that's what I had to do so I can dig deep and say, okay. And, and when I shared it, it was the, the founder of the organization that was in the space that kept saying that, and she appreciated that, mm-hmm. that I raised that up, you know, because I could have went into a space and, you know, act like, you know, I'm so happy with every area of my life. It's amazing. And I just want to show you some wonderful things about restorative justice. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, I, no, no, I was not doing that. Like, and I think that that's what's missing too. Like, I feel like I want people when I sit in a circle, I want them to show up as themselves, you know? So I used to teach at Metropolitan College of New York in lower Manhattan and I remember um, if, if a student would say something and it was like a song attached to it, mm-hmm. I would just burst out in song. I can be at the board writing something and they're like, Professor, I've been thinking. And I'm at the board, I've been thinking, I've been thinking, <laughs> you know, and I go into a little whatever. And they just, it was something that they were like, she's really showing her authentic self. She's just being who she is. So I'm going to smile and I tell people I don't have a poker face. So if you see it show up on my face, (laughs) then that's what it is. (laughs) We can talk about it later, but I don't have time, you know, to, to play games with other people. Because for me, if I'm imparting something to someone, that's a huge responsibility, you know, to teach. You know, I often tell people the other meaning for the word converse is intercourse so as we're engaging in conversation you know a person has the ability to deposit a seed you know and and, in depositing that seed it's either going to be something that's going to produce something fruitful and wonderful Mm -hmm. it's going to be something that you know can negatively impact you so i think that's really something that that's important People don't, you know, think about it like that sometimes, but I try to be very mindful. You know, I don't know if I'm probably aging myself. I don't know if you ever saw this show. Okay, I'm aging myself. It's Allie McBeal. I'm aware that that was a show. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like she would just be sitting and they would show like the cartoon images of what her, what she was thinking in her mind. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I do that, right? And so sometimes people are like, oh, you're just so, you know, you're so um, positive and you're so this. And I'm like, you have no idea that while you were speaking, I was asking God to forgive me for the thoughts that came up in my head because of the things I wanted to say. Like, that's how mindful I try to be, Mm. you know, like check myself. So I'm not going to check you without checking me first. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. And I know what it feels, how it feels when people do that. You know, I'm like, you 
you had all of that going on and you checking me? No. So, um, and that's something that I share and I bring into the space, you know, especially with youth. You know, I told them I'm not the fan of clap back, but I am a fan of talk back. You know, I will talk back and I encourage them to talk back. I encourage my white sisters when we get together because sometimes they're like, Tome, I want to ask you something, but I'm not sure. And I'm say, you know, I'm like, well, then ask because I'd rather you ask me, you know, so I can talk back to you before you go somewhere else and just, you know, make something worse than what it needs to be. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah how do you want to continue to grow in this work, right? You're a doctoral student. You have your, you still have your own nonprofit. You're a part of, oh, what's the group in New York? Oh, Restorative Roots Collaborative. The restorative. So, yeah. so, so you have your, you have like, you're in a lot of different restorative spaces with USD as a grad student, with uh, restorative justice education, with the Restorative Roots Collaborative and you, you know, your own work. How do you want to continue to grow? To just, you know, really push the thinking on, you know, what restorative justice is and and really to be in spaces where I say the things that other people find hard to say, mm-hmm. you know, because I think for me, it's, you know, there's always a risk when I speak out that someone someone is going to say, oh, she's an angry black woman. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm like at this point where that's a stereotype. So if that's where you're stuck in your, your growth, you know, or your, your journey, then that's you. I'm not going to hold on to that. And I'm not going to let it limit me because it might be the person sitting behind you or the person sitting next to you that, that will capture what I'm saying. And they're like, okay, all right. I don't see her as an angry black woman. I finally see her. And I think that's what's important because I know in a lot of spaces, I'm not seen, you know, I have to see myself. And so I get to know people because like I said, I am a reflection of you, it's Ubuntu, Mm -hmm. right? You know, so I I look at you, David, you know, and I can see me and myself. So that's that's where I wanna go. I just wanna grow in in that area in that way and produce some, some content that's really going to be profound, thought-provoking, you know, and life-changing. Yeah. You want to share what some of those things are? It's still in the works? <laughs> yeah, it's still in the works. I, I can't speak too much to it because um, it's something that's really going to be for my dissertation work. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a, a few years before that. You know, but I do have some amazing professors that are excited because they can see it already. Like, oh, this is just this is going to definitely be something for that. Um, I am currently working on an equity framework, you know, and in producing this um, initiative at the Center for Restorative Justice. And the framework is called HEAL Humanity Now. Mm-hmm. And HEAL is an acronym. And so it's the, the H is for honoring the power of your voice. And it comes with some other things underneath it. I don't really have time to go into that. And the E is for equity focused practices. 
you know, so we can just have that equity mindset as we, we do things and, and how we show up with other places, other people. And the A is for anti-bias outcomes, right? So it's not, it's not enough to, and there's a quote, I can't quite think of it. It's not enough to say, I just want to give you love and light. It's not enough for that. I need your action. Mm-hmm. So that's what that A is for. And then the L is for leadership. You know, how can we develop more leaders? Instead of looking at people as problems, to look at them as people who are presenting opportunities for growth. I want to transition into the questions that we ask everyone, right? What is a place that you really wish people knew this work? Um, Assuming that schools, families, and the criminal legal system are off the table, because that's what everybody says. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I want to see it in Congress. I want to see it in government. I want to see it in the White House. Mm. That's where I want to see it. Yeah, how would that look? How would that show up? Hmm. It would show up that they would actually circle around a policy decision before they enact one, before they create a law, that they would actually have people at the table that will be most impacted by that law, you know? And so for an example, when Alabama turned back some laws around abortion, that impacts women, mm-hmm. right? But the, the lawmakers are men, mm-hmm. you know, the ones who really want to push this, they're, they're not the ones who are being deeply impacted by what happens to their body, you know? And, and I happen to, believe that if we had restorative justice at that level where we're including all stakeholders all stakeholders you know to first build community because i think there's such a hierarchy and that's where it needs to be because you know restorative justice to me is a power equalizer you know and we don't have to i feel like sometimes um (laughs) people almost fear black bodies because of the harm that was done and and they think we're going to just take revenge right Mm -hmm. and really be like the equalizer the movie that denzel washington played in (laughs) right instead of understanding that we can use the power equalizer and that's the power of the circle to build community to connect and hold difficult dialogues around these issues that need to come up so while they're sitting they're already sitting around a table you know Mm -hmm. They can still sit at the table, just do it in a process and in a way and include the voices of those that are deeply impacted by the laws they create. Yeah, it's, it seems like a pipe dream. Of course it is, (laughs) you know, but hey, I have to, I have to give myself hope for something like, you know, what would it look like? I mean, but I I honestly, you know, even I would say another place I would want to see it, um, would be like in the 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 me too movement Mm -hmm. i would want to see it there i want it i would want to see it in a space where black women and white women can actually come together and be authentic because while i really feel like when we come together we come together over our pain we join and unite over our pain but there's still so many differences and divides between us you know where 
white people or white women still look down on black women as the other, mm. you know? And so I would like to see it in those matriarchal movements. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's something about like restorative outcomes or accountability, right? Is harm acknowledged, right? Um, and then behavior changed <laughs> and like support given to like change that behavior. Um, we're, we're very good at like pointing out the harm. Um, those other two pieces, there's a lot of growth that we as a and society ha have to do um, along that. And, and I, I, and I understand where that comes from. Um, I don't know if this is going to air before um, I released this other podcast I did with um, the, the, the podcast, like, let's talk, bruh future david here that collaboration is coming stay tuned and jeremy was we were talking about like what does public accountability look like for like an r kelly right like that's that's not really an important question for me right because that that's happened i want support and resources for the people who have been harmed right but who are the people in robert's life right um who can give him that support um, that challenge and connection, if we we're going to call back to like that episode uh, with uh, Malik Muhammad about, you know, making sure that, you know, we want to support you as a person and you can't keep doing the stuff that is causing harm. Like, what are the things that you need to do in order to uh, change? Because like you are a part of our community. We love you um, and you are hurting so many people. Um, th there's so much space, especially within... Uh, uh, right across all of society but like especially within like uh gender-based violence for sure yeah I, I i thank you for um even raising that up you know because i i often get pushed back because i do work with those who cause harm mm -hmm. right and it's because of the studies that i've done like for example um statistics tell us that children who are exposed to domestic violence are 74% more likely to grow up and commit a violent crime. And yet when they commit a violent crime, we're like, yeah, let's punish them and throw them in the mm -hmm. jail system. You know, but if we have the statistics, we have the knowledge, then what are we doing to actually interrupt that process? What are we doing, you know, to create a different, a better person and help them have the opportunity to be a better version of themselves so they don't continue the harm? Because yeah, I can date, James and then James does something to me and, and I'm like well I kick you out now he goes and dates Sally but then he twists her arm she kicks him out but now he goes and he dates Jill you know and Jill ends up in the hospital and he goes to jail for a little while comes out and now he dates Janet and he kills her like why wait for it to get to that point mm -hmm. So if, if nobody wants to do that work, if they feel like it's a dirty work, if they feel like, I feel like anybody that has breath, they can be redeemed if they're willing to do the work. But if they're being demonized, nobody's going to say, hey, I'm a demon. This is my issue. Come help me. But if, if people know that there's someone who cares, even if it's connecting them to their community, right? Like you said, if Robert had people in his community that can support him, hold him accountable and not say, you got the money, you can do whatever you want. You got the fame, you can do whatever you want, but say, nah, nah, bruh, <laughs> you off. 
that's wrong, you know, and then backtrack to, all right, now that we get you to want to heal from the harm you caused others, heal yourself, mm-hmm. you know, because that he has a story too. And so many other, you know, I, I keep seeing the quote from, oh, I forget his name that says it's easier to repair, to raise strong children than it is to repay a broken man. Mm. And, and and there may be truth to that. But if that's what we keep telling men that they're broken and they can't be repaired, then why try? Yeah. Yeah. You get to sit in circle with four people, living or dead. Who are they? And what do you what's the circle question you ask them? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good question. Living or dead, four people. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good question. Hmm. I would sit in circle with Jesus, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would sit in circle with, you have me thinking. Um, yeah, I would want to sit with Jesus. I would want to sit with Apostle Paul. I would want to sit with Michelle Obama. <laughs> and I would want to sit with... Dag, it's too many other women I would want to sit with. Oh, gosh. I know. I know. I would want to sit with Angela Davis. So Jesus, Paul, Michelle Obama, Angela Davis, what's the question that you ask that circle? (sighs) How can we realistically go high Mm -hmm. when we want to go low Mm -hmm. so i'll flip her michelle obama's when they when they go low we go high like that sounds good (laughs) it feels good but tell me how to do that because there's a lot of low blows that's coming at me and my people and other people in the community so how do we go high you know and what does that look like yeah (laughs) That's that's a tough one sometimes i turn it back on the the interviewee, but I'm not going to do that right now. I will ask you, what is one mantra, affirmation, uh, or something that you want everyone listening to this podcast to know? Oh, a mantra. Goodness, I have a few of them that I want them to know. I'll just stay with um, honor the power of your voice. Mm. Thank you for doing that here with us today. Uh, That would have been a great thing to end on, but there's still two more questions. (laughs) Who is one person I should have on this podcast and you have to help me get them on? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh, Oh goodness. Oh, who is one person? Oh, I don't know. Have you, um, have you met with, Dr. Bankhead from Rjoy already? I have not, but I should I should reach out. And there's Dr. Tom Cavanaugh yeah. <laughs> from Restorative Justice Education. I just know he's so busy, but he's he's definitely someone that yeah, 
Yeah, because I work with him. It's it's interesting because I, I spent, I traveled to do work with him before and we all stayed at the same hotel and we would just meet after the training and, and go, you know, have dinner together. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, he kept saying things that was like leaving such an imprint on my heart and touching my soul. I looked at him and I said, you sure you're not mixed? You're starting to look black to me. <laughs> That's what I said to him. He is just as white as he want to be, mm-hmm. you know, but the love that was exuding from him and the care that was exuding from him. Yeah. I just, oh my gosh. So Ooh, I'll be yeah. looking forward to that introductory email. Okay, you got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, last question. How and where can people support you and your work in the ways that you want to be supported? Oh, well, for now, they can just, you know, they can follow me on social media right now because I have, like, different things in the works. So I haven't actually put something out there um, to capture. So it would be at Eltome Douglas, mm-hmm. you know, across social media. Or even um, they can support me at the sensor, um, USD sensor for RJ. Yeah, those are the two places I would say right now. And we'll have those linked in the show notes uh, for people to to connect. Um, thank you for honoring your voice. I'm going to bring it back to what you just shared. Thank you for honoring your voice by you know sharing your wisdom, your stories, being vulnerable uh, with me here today. Um, I really appreciate it. Anything else that you want to share with the audience before we say goodbye? No, just to keep listening in to Amplify RJ, you know. Hey, and like, rate, subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> share all the things. Well, thank you so much, Tomei. It was really good to talk with you. Um, everybody else, take care, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you, Tomei. It's Elise here. And here are a couple things that I thought about from this episode today. I really appreciated that right off the bat, Tamei said that she learned about restorative justice by Googling it. I love this because I think that it's so important to remember that education can come from so many different places. Although seemingly such a small thing, it is important to remember that everyone starts somewhere, and you can start by just Googling things. How did you start on your restorative justice journey? I also enjoyed the analogy she used for white privilege by comparing it to an American Express card. I feel like it's kind of a fun way to actually see that it's something that you carry around and don't realize that it is something or an advantage given to you until you see that someone else doesn't have it. In what ways do you work to dismantle white privilege in your community? Thank you so much for listening today and don't forget to check out our future Ancestors Collective and our YouTube clips on this podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast on whatever platform you're using right now. It really helps us further amplify this work. You can also support us by following us on our social platforms, signing up for our email list, rocking our new merch, joining our Patreon, or signing up for a workshop. So many options! Links to everything in the show notes and on our website, AmplifyRJ.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.